What's up, everybody? This is another episode of Off the Top Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Usually we do something a little spicy on the intro. Today, I just wanted to give you something a little more vanilla. Julian, how are you doing today, man? You know, I'm really interested in this topic we have today just because I assumed it as one thing as what it is today and learning about the history and lineage of it um, was really bizarre, but kind of cool to learn about. Yeah, no. And so today, what Julian is talking about, what we're talking about is the history and kind of how Nintendo, the company, evolved into what we know it is today. Yeah, and it's really easy to picture Nintendo as like the Wii or the DS or the SNES or Mario or something along those lines. But where they originally started um, was totally mind-boggling to me at first. Yeah, and so they started playing cards originally. And who started that? Um, they started in 1889 with Fusajiro Yamauchi, the founder of Nintendo. Um, yeah, 1889. So I figured, you know, Nintendo came around in the late, like, 60s maybe and did something. But they started with, uh, like, flower card games um, called Hanafuda. Basically, like, the playing cards we have, but um, Japanese version. And then they also did sexy pinup girl cards as well um, in the, you know, 1890 to 1910 range. Yeah, and uh, one thing that I found pretty interesting was the actual name Nintendo is like means leave luck to leave luck up to heaven. Huh. I I don't know how that really ties in with their first initial thoughts of playing cards, but so the the reason why, from what I've heard, is that a lot of these games were chance based uh, games, and so it's basically acknowledging that it's all kind of luck and the odds of you know how you're playing. Oh, that makes sense. And since then, they've transitioned to their stock price being around like thirty five thousand Japanese yen in their stock market, which is equivalent to about three hundred and fifteen U.S. American dollars today. So you could say their stock is doing relatively well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so one thing that I found really interesting was through the evolution of Nintendo in the very early stages, um, the founder of Nintendo Fusajira Yamauchi, I think yeah. is how you pronounce Fusajira it. Fusajira went to the U.S. to kind of get a little bit more inspiration. And what he really found as kind of a turning point from my research was his interaction with Walt Disney and experiencing kind of the conglomerate that is Disney and the fact that they're not just cartoonists anymore. They have amusement parks. They have, you know, actual like so many things, toys, you know, board games, all yeah, then what after that meeting with Disney, Fusajira went on just a tear. Like from my research, I saw that obviously they began as playing cards. Then he was like, "Well, America is really cool. Let me start a taxi company." Um, this taxi company was called Daya. Um, when taxis were probably booming back then, they didn't have Uber, obviously. So kind of getting in that game ahead of time, and then like you said, doing some other things like a TV network trying to do some food but the one that is the most interesting to me is nintendo owned the rights or owned a few different love hotels love hotels can we uh <laughs> for our viewers that uh aren't you know rehearsed on the love hotel game julian can we talk about that for a second um so basically a love hotel or if you've heard about people if you work at a hotel and people you know ask if you can buy by the hour or whatever it may be basically a love hotel is where um, you get a room for sexual activity for, you know, a short period of time and they just are recycling the rooms throughout the day. And a, 
I don't know how that was. Like, I guess it was a profitable business back then. But if someone came up to me and one of my buddies wanted me to invest and like, hey, I want to make a love hotel. I don't know if I would think that's a viable option. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder, like, what's the pricing model? Like, you know, is it a certain rate if you're just going to beat off by yourself and, you know, it's like increasing? Yeah. And I yeah. don't know if you're employees of this love hotel, like if they employed sex workers, which is the correct term to use nowadays, if they employed sex workers or like people were paying by the hour on both ends. Yeah. And like, let's ask this question. Are you a sex worker if you clean up? Like, are you the cleanup crew of the Love Hotel? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how this was a thing and how this uh, Nintendo escaped this this path and <laughs> yeah. went down this really cool path that we're about to talk about. But all this happened before 1974. So the cards and the Love Hotel and everything was before 1974. Yeah, and so let's not digress anymore. When... Nintendo started in their actual like toy making and you know diversifying they also started um, creating arcade games as well and so one of the first arcade games that they made was a game called Radar Scope and what it was was basically you're in the spaceship and then you're taking out or shooting at alien spaceships or UFOs that are coming at you and staying alive. Yeah, and you kind of think of, when you think of Radar Scope, you kind of think of like Galaga. So it was like the first version of Galaga, which they adopted from their very first intro to electronics was the Color TV game. Um, a terrible name for a product, literally named the Color TV game. But it was just, you hooked it up to your TV and you could play. Um, and they sold 4.5 million units. But then, yeah, they moved into arcades because that was where it was profitable. Yeah, exactly. And so... Where we find ourselves, I think something that is extraordinarily ubiquitous when it comes to Nintendo is we always think about, you know, that original game of Mario jumping up the ladders and jumping over the barrels that Donkey Kong is throwing at him. So the real inspiration of that, oddly enough, that I found out was Popeye. Yeah, and... I mean, honestly, I didn't even know that until we researched it or I would have never put two and two together. Oh, no, absolutely not. So what it is is basically Donkey Kong is the representation of the antagonist of Popeye, like a big, bulky, like brawny dude. Mario himself is Popeye. And then the olive oil, Popeye's, you know, home like missus, <laughs> is called Paula in the actual Donkey Kong game, which I found was interesting. And it was named after one of the like directors and somebody who had a hand in its wife. Yeah. And the other thing I found interesting about this was that Mario was hat was named Mario, but they also called him Jumpman. So he's the real the real guy before Michael Jordan. And they also called him the Osana or Osan, which literally translates to middle aged guy. <laughs> <laughs> Those Japanese people are just extraordinarily creative. <laughs> but yeah, and so <clears throat> what happened after that? Uh, when Donkey Kong was gaining, gaining steam and finding popularity in the U.S. market in arcades, there was actually a fallout where Nintendo got sued. And they got sued by Universal, like huge, right? Like what, what would the suing be about? So Universal sued Nintendo of kind of encroaching on their King Kong proprietary idea. So Universal accused Nintendo of saying, like, Donkey Kong is totally King Kong. You guys ripped us off. <laughs> this guy's taking women up to the top and, like, you know, acting a fool. And, you know, 
little to be said about this, but uh, Nintendo waxed them. <laughs> yeah. And you got to think, this arcade game came out in 1970 or 1981, and then that lawsuit probably ensued a few years later. And when Jordan originally told me this, because I didn't see it when I was looking down that route, was like, I don't get it. I, I wouldn't put two and two together. Like, And that's probably why they got waxed in court. I don't look at Donkey Kong and go, that's a giant gorilla. I go like, you know, that's a big ape or whatever. And I don't put anything in connection with King Kong besides the word Kong at the end. Yeah, exactly. I think this is a classic moment of, you know, uh, uh, stay in your lane. <laughs> Universal. <laughs> and the other thing that was revolutionary about Donkey Kong was it was the first game that had jumping in it. Um, which I was surprised because Nintendo went on the route with thinking about trying to trademark or patent jumping in video games. So if they would have gone that route and been successful, they would have banked. I mean, the revenue right now is $5.5 billion, but it probably would be a lot more because think about every game you play that involves jumping. They would have had to buy or get the rights from Nintendo to do so. Wow, that's extraordinarily interesting. I had no idea about that. First off, crazy ambitious and really cool of them to do that. And almost a little scary for them to just rule the world. Of Imagine playing 2K and knowing that Nintendo had to sign off on your 2K game. And then after the arcade games, they kind of go into handheld devices where um, Jordan is a big fan of this character. Their first game was a Game & Watch on the handheld device. Yes, and uh, also what DK inspired for Game & Watch was the first cross D-pad. So imagine if they would have patented jumping and the D-pad. So the D-pad, if you aren't familiar with it, it's in a cross, like up and down. Uh, you go forward, left, right, down, and you can guide a diagonal. Probably at that time was probably just up, down, left, and right. Um, and they inspired that, and that was used in Game & Watch, which was the first, was number one in worldwide sales and success for a mobile hand, handheld game. Yeah, and so to get a little color on this, the reason that I'm a big fan of Game & Watch is something that we'll be talking about in the future, a further implementation of him. But truly, I mean, if you could, if I could illustrate it through this podcast, this character was very plain, black, like just black pixels, this dude, and he just did different actions with the different games in the actual handheld device. So there's a game where you'd, like, he'd have a hammer that he'd hit, there's a game where there's two of them and they like have a little like trampoline and things of that nature. Yeah, now that you say that, like when we, you use Game and Watch and Smash, like he has a little different numbers above his head. I want, does do you know if that correlates the different game modes and the different? So, so the reason I could talk about that. So the reason that um, and what he's talking about in Super Smash Bros. the player Game and Watch, which was introduced in Super Smash Bros. Melee first, which was the GameCube uh, installation of it. Mr. Game & Watch has a hammer, and it's a side B move, which is called the Judge. And so what happens with the Judge is that when the hammer comes out, on top of the hammer and on top of Mr. Game & Watch's head is a number. And so what that number basically instantiates is the action of the hammer. So the higher up the, the number goes, the more powerful and crucial the actual hit will be. And also, it depends on what numbers you get, the actual different effects. So, for instance, um, in some in some instances of the game, if you hit a number eight on an opponent, they turn into ice for a second. Or if you hit like a number two, then they get like extra damage going on with the flower of their head. 
Yeah, it'll really mess you up, especially if you're a player of my caliber. That's not too great. Um, when Game and Watch is on the on the screen, I'm in trouble. Yeah, he's a. The reason I like him is he's uh he's. I would say his game is kind of kinky and um a, a little disrespectful as well. You probably say that's what they're aiming for with the Love Hotel moving in this direction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and then after Game and Watch handheld device, you get the Game Boy in 1988. Um, the Nintendo Entertainment System in 85, which is also known as the Famicom System. Um, and this is kind of where Nintendo really hits their stride. Yeah, and so the interesting thing about the Famicom System, which also I think shares the name of uh, Nintendo Entertainment System sometime along this line, was a lot of interesting things were happening at this point. So you had players in the game like Sega uh, with their Genesis and other people and the thing that was really interesting was to see the battle between these like these giants as far as the Dreamcast, you know, the Genesis and all that stuff. Dreamcast came later, sorry about that. But so what happened was is that you see the characteristics of these people getting built. So for instance, there was a port for Mortal Kombat between the two. So Sega and the Nintendo Entertainment System got it. And what happened was on the SNES, the port for Nintendo, they made it more family orientated. So obviously, if you're familiar with Mortal Kombat, you can the one of the most polarizing things is the actual finishing combos of, you know, beating your opponent. And with Nintendo's aspect, they basically took that out of the game. So kind of the most visceral and like, holy cow, this is cool part of the game for some people. They took out to make it more family friendly. And I think that's kind of where they started to, to diverge from more of a almost uh, I feel like they're more family friendly than any almost any other console at this point. Yeah, I think they maybe some market research or something or maybe the characters they had in the tank at that time kind of related more to families and they realized that they had a stronghold on that you know maybe they'll exceed and that's kind of where they went to and the interesting thing if you go back to the nes um it was technically founded by like a janitor dude was like a janitor slash service man for nintendo and had this idea and put it together and then that you know rolls into the famicom snes in the 90s and then you go into I mean, the rest of their lineage, you have the N64, the GameCube, the Wii, the Switch, all of the Game Boys, all of the DSs, all these different devices. Um, really a huge line compared to, you know, what's really consistent now between PlayStation and Xbox, right? Yeah, and just to talk about that a little bit, this is not a one-off instance of Nintendo utilizing players and characters of their employees of their company that naturally wouldn't have been in that position so for instance the person that created mario and was the basically the brains of it all was a staff manager mm-hmm. and wasn't like a creative you know video game designer at all so it shows that they are willing to think outside the box in one of those instances if i can go on was with the famcom system this is something i found extraordinarily interesting was Basically, in short tune, before I tell you this story, Nintendo kind of spawned Sony, like the PlayStation, which I was, when I first understood and was understanding and researching this, I was like, what the hell? (laughs) So to um, initiate or start describing this story, the Famicom system, um, Nintendo was working on a expandable pack or something to add on to it. And 
what they were going to utilize in this extra package that they were going to bring to market was the use of CDs and CDs playing video games. One thing that Nintendo was not keen on when it came to that stuff and why they, you know, Nintendo 64 was out and it was in the same era as the PlayStation and Nintendo 64 cartridge PlayStation was CD. Nintendo was not a fan of the piratability of these things. But regardless, um, they were trying to create this thing to basically allow the Famicom system to play CDs. And they hired Sony to do the work. And so later on, like there was actually getting basically the product was there. And the only thing that was coming up or being a roadblock was the actual contract negotiation. Being such a revolutionary thing at the time of the Famicom system, the two players, Sony and and Nintendo were arguing back and forth on basically the profit or how it would be split just because being such a momentous thing, one player could lose out on countless amount of money compared to the other, depending on how the contract goes. So what so- Nintendo does, they drop Sony, which was a horrible mistake. Poor choice. <laughs> yeah. And they went with the, the video game powerhouse that we all know as Philips. <laughs> which is and that whole concept is just an it's a unique story like we told you beforehand that they for the first time they you know, jumping the d-pad and then once again first on this revolutionary tech of um the cd or play, playable cds and you know they don't hit a home run on this one yeah exactly and it actually happens to be one of i think that nintendo can be described as this they are that player that truly is an X factor. And when they're on a roll, watch out. Because think about it. You know, they they just were killing it, killing it, killing it. Made a mistake with the Phillips, you know, deciding with Phillips. And they it was a flop with that. Another flop that they had, interestingly enough, that not a lot of people know, was they created a Super Mario Bros. movie that was absolutely hot garbage. And it was funny what you mentioned, the an actor that they tried to get, Julian. Who was that actor? Yeah, so um, I've actually seen the movie. It's really bad. I got it from Blockbuster, if you guys remember those things. But they tried to cast Tom Hanks as Luigi in the movie. And uh, safe to say, Tom Hanks didn't sign on, and his career thrived afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, real big loss for the Hanks on that (laughs) yeah and then um so then you kind of move into they kind of hit this lull for a little bit and then you know we start going into super mario and super smash bros and zelda and all these plethora of games pokemon and they're kind of just kicking it once again yeah truly and so some of that has to do with kind of the players that they have on board so one of the people that they have making video games which it was also interesting how they did that Let me break it down for a second. So the way that Sony made their consoles, they had a proprietary chip. So what that meant is that all the game developers had to go through Sony to get basically, you know, a working game out for the Nintendo of whatever console it was at the time. So what happened was a lot of game developers were kind of held uh, in handcuffs first off by the negotiations of Nintendo themselves, because if you didn't want to play by their rules, then you weren't going to make a game for them. Secondly, with that chipset available, there was limited availability, truly. So what that means is that, you know, only the love can be shared only a certain amount of times until, you know, they run out. 
Yeah, and that's kind of why you saw a lot of cartridge games for a while. Like, if you haven't put two and two together, like, um, Nintendo's a little late on the disc play. And, I I mean, I guess it kind of hurt them, but everyone remembers blowing in the cartridges, which you're not supposed to do, but it's still do it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Who says you're not supposed to do it? (laughs) And that's kind of just the route it went. I'm going to spit real quick some odd facts I found about Nintendo as a whole, or maybe some of the characters that I found intriguing. Like, one, um, Mario jumps high. How high? 27 feet is his vertical leap. Um, I don't know. Talk about Jumpman. I don't know who figured out that math, but that's what that was. Um, Luigi is a child of Mario and a Koopa. Um, not realistically a love child of them, but they basically took like a Koopa's body shape. And, you know, kind of made it a little bit taller than Mario's characteristics and meshed them together. So that's how you got Luigi. Um, the original Mario Kart um, had drinking and driving in it in Japan before they got rid of that over here and rid of it in general. Um, the Legend of Zelda was the first game where you had the ability to save your progress. So another, some, another thing just revolutionary in games, jumping the D-pad and saving. Um they own the rights to a porn called Super Horneo Bros. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, featured Ron, <laughs> that featured Ron Jeremy more so so that the porno didn't come out. Um, but they still <laughs> yeah, own it. It's okay. still in there. <laughs> okay, so basically that's the equivalent of... No, I'm just looking at this porn so I know what to avoid whenever <laughs> yeah. something comes on the TV. Yeah, nice try. Super nice hornyo bros on that one. And then their best-selling Nintendo game of all time is uh, Wii Sports, which is fairly fascinating. I thought it would have been a Mario Bros, but individually game talking, it's just Wii Sports. Because I guess when the first Wii came out, that's the game everyone wanted to play was bowling, tennis, um, everything on that. Yeah, and truly, I think that to talk about that Wii Sports a little bit more, I think that it's also a very smart initiative on Nintendo's end to basically add that to a lot of the game packages that you got. So when you buy the console, a majority of the time, sometimes you'd get a game with it. And I know that a lot of the times you'd get a game like Wii Sports in there. So maybe that augmented basically the sales a little bit. Yeah, and those are just some of the weird things I found about Nintendo um and then before we get into some of the games we enjoy uh there's a theory that the mario universe is an actually an act on stage so if you know super mario bros 3 uh, how it starts with them on a stage the conspiracy that the whole thing's a play and that's why peach keeps getting recaptured and it's the end of scene and each level is end of scene um and that's kind of held water because super mario bro super mario 2 um, the way you select characters is kind of on stage, and then Super Mario 3 is obviously on stage. And then the other, the last weird conspiracy I found was that um, Bowser Jr.'s mom's unknown, but most believe that it's Peach. And I said, I believe that. <laughs> I mean, you know, a man's got to eat is what I always say. And, you know, well, I, it, I guess it made, could make sense. Yeah. I, they hang out a lot, Bowser and Peach. <laughs> yeah. After a few years of her purposely running away, something's going to yeah, She's going to yeah, care exactly. to take care of. Yeah. Poor Mario for not seeing it coming, really. But uh, before before we get into our personal enjoyment of games, I want to talk about some of the interesting things that I found. One of those things was in Mario 64, the game leveling, which was about 11 at the time of production, was actually about 43, which is quite a big difference. So what they did with those extra levels and gaming schemes was they actually fitted into 
the Legends of Zelda at the time. So there was a crossbreeding of basically the two gaming concepts, which seems so insane because, you know, the only time that you would say Legend of Zelda and Mario in the same sentence probably would be in Super Smash Bros. But, you know, there's more correlation than just the actual fighting game. Well, it's interesting, too, to me that when they made those games, it probably wasn't a very easy process to make them. I mean, comparatively to now, uh, the games now might take a little bit longer because they're more detailed oriented. But back then, like figuring out all the schematics and the coding and everything that goes into creating a game to go from 43 levels and scrap them down to 11 is a very unique choice. Yeah, absolutely. And I think once again, we're kind of learning with this trend that Nintendo just does some Nintendo stuff. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So without further ado, Julian, what are some of your most favorite Nintendo games? I really enjoy Mario Kart um, and Mario Party. Just in the facts, like Mario Kart's awesome. You can play that whenever you want. The driving mechanics are relatively cool. Like I enjoy throwing a good banana or blue shell every now and again. Um, Jordan and I have had our battles or battled the CPU, the computer, a few times. And I think it's just a kind of a cool little, I not necessarily storyline, but just a cool race game. And Mario Party is pretty fun too. Yeah, I think that just shows, you know, the nature of Nintendo is to get more than one person involved with a lot of their games. So you talked about Mario Party Classic, Mario Kart Classic, and also you got to think about that Wii Sports game. That's one thing that we've shared a lot is battling with that the sword guys, and we were actually talking about it beforehand, but it just shows like just the orientated nature of the Nintendo's games for the most part is with, you know, a group mind and thought yeah and uh one thing i know you don't need a lot of research for but you're familiar with is the kind of growth of the super smash scenes and the different game types there are oh yeah certainly when super smash came out it was one of the like the most wild concepts to have different players from different actual universes come and fight together and i think that's what got it a lot of hype And with that hype became like this huge community oriented aspect of which that now when you think about where it started with Super Smash Bros on the N64, now we have Super Smash Bros coming out for the Switch, which is going to be insane from what I've heard, Super Smash Bros Ultimate. But in between there, we've had communities and pockets of like some extraordinarily competitive gaming. And also one of my personal favorites is Project M. So Project Dam stands for Project Melee. It's based off of the the Wii uh, Super Smash Bros. And basically, if I could ta- say it in a layman's way, you overlay the Super Smash Bros. Melee physics on top of that and bring back some characters. And it's insane the things that people do with the creativity of these this confined box. It's extraordinary. Yeah, and that thing about that whole scene is there's so many different characters and types and the way people play these guys with their different abilities is really fascinating to watch and it's kind of it's always cool to watch regardless if you like game watching games or not like seeing how how people use the dynamics and the character set to their advantage. Yeah, extraordinarily so. And I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, I could talk about this for a whole two podcasts about, you know, Super Smash Bros Project M, but Yeah, I mean, if you guys just think about competitive gaming and go back to that podcast that we had in the very beginning, I mean, probably bear with us on the quality (laughs) that we were pumping out at that time. I think that was our second podcast, but it will like we talk about it a little bit and it is such a like competitive and bona fide competitor 
in competitive gaming. It almost is a pillar itself, if I say so myself. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I guess to kind of bring things to an end, we'll talk about some of Nintendo's top-selling games with the top-selling series. Um, if you guys haven't guessed it, it's going to be the Super Mario series, the direct lines, at 627 million units sold. And then you're going to go into the Pokemon main series, which we didn't even touch about, touch on Pokemon, but in itself, that's a whole podcast and what that, how that's trans, transcended video games and culture, um, at 301 million. And then you have we, the Wii Sports series, the Wii series, uh, or Wii Sports series at 203 million and Super, or Super Smash Bros or Super Smash, whatever you want to call it, however you want to define it. Um, at 40 million copies through their, I think there's six, six games, five styles. Six games. Uh, if you're counting like the Wii or the DS and stuff like that, I think you get there. Yeah. So Nintendo's been pretty successful, revolutionary in a lot of places. I mean, they catch a lot of flack now because everyone's, a lot of people play PlayStation and Xbox, but Nintendo's really transcended, I would say, is the transcender of the console gaming world. Yeah, exactly. And if I think I could pull something from the actual Nintendo way of doing things, be a little Nintendo, don't be a whole lot of Nintendo. Be the kind of like open to change, be the person that's almost always innovating and you'll be amazed on the spots and places you'll find yourself and the people that will enjoy it along the way. Yeah. Um, if you guys have any questions or comments about, you know, Nintendo or maybe you want to hear a whole um, Smash podcast or some, another gaming content podcast about PlayStation, Xbox or whatever it may be, just go ahead and shoot us an email at the off the top podcast at gmail.com. Um, any last words, Jordan? Uh, I just want to thank everybody for just being great listeners, showing us so much love and allowing us to kind of continue doing this with the encouragement of everyone behind us listening. Yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.